this time, I'd like to invite uh, Pastor Elder Jason Harmon up forward. Uh, I am the senior pastor of this church, as I said, but I'm actually on a, on a family leave right now because I had, no, well, I didn't have, but my wife had a delightful baby just, just shy of two weeks ago, Tuesday, so two weeks ago we had no baby. Now we have baby Naomi. She's here along with my hero wife, so very thankful for that. So in case you're wondering, that is Quattro, that's four, for those non-Spanish speakers. Um, we, we love her very much. We're very thankful to the family. I'm thankful that, that God makes the church about many people coming together as the body. Each, each of us is just as important as the next. This is the body of Christ. So you can't, you know, you might think, oh, the head is the most important part of the church. Well, the head can't get around without the feet, right? And God, God actually has a place for every person in this building to participate in the body that he's making. And I'm so thankful to have a plurality of, of pastoral elders like Jay who are anointed and, and, and blessed to, to teach the word and share the word. I mean, it makes my heart full. I'm so thankful for that. And so I'd like to, to pray for Jay as he is bringing the word to us this morning and, uh, and just express my thankfulness to, to him and to this church uh, and, to, and to God for the provision that we've been given. Um, we are, we're blessed. Please join me in prayer. Father, I pray you bless Jay. Um, thank you for the gifts you've given him to be a, a pastor, to be a teacher, but mostly just to be someone who loves you very much and has given his life to you. Um, anoint his words. Open our ears to hear them, just like you opened the disciples' eyes and their minds on that road. So we need the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to open our eyes to see Jesus and to open our minds to understand the word that you are trying to speak to us. I pray that your word would, would affect us and change us uh, this Easter morning. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the resurrection. I thank you for this expression of you in Saratoga Springs, that new life, and this body that we all get to be a part of. It's, it's a blessing. It's a wonderful family, and I'm so thankful this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Have fun. So I just want to, that's a little loud. I just want to just add my greetings to, to what Corey and, and Nathan have already shared. And, and just, um, you know, I don't know that it's the case out there if you were to look out right now, but this morning driving up here, it was raining and, and just gray and cold and, and miserable at my house. When I, when I left this morning, um, but you know, despite that, right, our hearts are full. Because like Nathan said, today right, we carry with us a, a message of a, of a living Savior. Right, that we gather together this morning uh, not having to, to, to deal with right, just the cross as the end of the story. Right, but that we've got a message that we carry around with us this morning. Right? Grace guys are not right, of, of great hope. You know, as we're worshiping this morning, I don't know, I'm probably going to, you know, destroy this, but that, the, the verse in that song, right, that talks about, you know, in his body laying in the tomb for three days, and the, and the next line starts talking about, right, but that, that on that day, right, that bursting forth, right, knowing the story, it, it, it's almost everything I can do to keep my insides from just exploding out, knowing that that's the reality for us today. 
right? Like I lose it every time at that particular place bursting forth, right? right? That the grave could not contain him. And that's what we celebrate today. So yesterday I was trying to do sort of final prep for this and, and, and admittedly spinning a little bit in terms of trying to figure out sort of where this was going to end up. And, and it just so happened that my, my wife came home and, and at, at the same time she was getting ready, she was praying for me. Nathan sent me a text. He didn't know what was going on. And they were both saying the same thing. And the, and the crux of it was this. My wife said, I don't want you to be offended by this, honey, but tomorrow um, your only obligation is to be a delivery boy. We couldn't have made this story up if we wanted to. So today it's my pleasure just to deliver what, what God's got for us. So many of you know we're, we're reading through, as a church body, uh, we're, we're reading through the Bible together, sort of this systematic study. Um, and I don't know if Nathan planned it this way or, uh, you know, if it's a, if it's, you know, more of a God thing, but this week we're reading in the book of Luke, right? Ending the book of Luke, which talks all about the crucifixion and the resurrection. It was like really perfect timing. So like I said, either Nathan's a much smarter guy than I gave him credit for, <laughs> or, or God was up to something. But I want to dial in on, a, on, a, on something that was, was in Luke, uh, 23, and, um, and to, I'm not usually a clicker person, so, so in Luke 23, and this is, is towards the end, Christ is, is on the cross, right, it's, it's, it's very near to the end of, of his life, and so Luke records and says, it was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. For the sun stopped shining and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last. And the Roman centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. And when all the people had gathered to witness this sight, saw what took place, they beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance just watching these things. And so this is recorded not just in Luke, but this is also recorded by Matthew and Mark, um, this almost word for word. Uh, Again, these guys uh, could not have made this up if they had wanted to, and yet they record this particular event um, almost identically. And I want to draw your attention. You know, there's a, a, lot of, a lot of directions that you can go with an Easter message. Right? There's, there's stones rolled away. Um, I saw one that I had never seen uh, about the, the, the picture of the, the cloths that they had wrapped Jesus in being neatly folded right, in the tomb. Right? The way that... Uh, a master would fold a napkin until he returned. 
But today I, I want to focus on a little bit different part. I want to focus on the curtain. Right? And so again, all three Gospels talk about this, th this idea of the curtain being torn in two. And the only difference between these three accounts is that Matthew and Mark add in the detail that when the curtain was torn, that it tore from the top to the bottom. But all three of them tell the same story. And so I want to dive into this a little bit more. And maybe you're asking yourself, why in the world is a curtain important to this story? I'm glad you asked. So the, the curtain's important because if you go all the way back to the beginning of Scripture, right, there's a, a, a very clear expression of God's heart that shows up from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And it's this heart motivation of God to dwell with his people. Right, from Adam and Eve, God's desire was to dwell with them. Right? They sin. What do they do? They hide themselves. What does he do? He goes looking for them because he's got a desire to dwell with them, to be in fellowship with them, to be near to them, right? to share his presence and their presence together. That is the desire of his heart. Right? And if you fast forward all the way to the book of Revelation, it talks about God once again right, restoring right, and, and that his dwelling will be with men. Right, that in the New Jerusalem, there's, there's not a need for a son because he himself will be our light. The dwelling of God, once again, according to the perfect design of God, will be that God will dwell with his people. And so even in the midst of watching Israel, right, his people, year after year, generation after generation, right, they struggle, They're, they sin, they're sinners like me, and like all of you. And yet God's heart, his, his desire, is still to dwell with his people, to not be separated. And so, for any of you guys who are interested in maybe studying this out a little bit more later, in, in, Exodus, in, in, in Exodus 25 and 26, and I'm, I'm not, I don't want to Kind of, you know, linger here too long, right? But God's having this conversation with Moses, and He's giving them the plans for the tabernacle, right? Which was the designed place for God to accomplish that heart motivation of dwelling with His people, right? And so He gives them. If you read the account, and I think we're going there soon in in this sort of reading plan that we're doing as a church, it, it's it's mind blowing in detail. And so God lays out for Moses this building, this tabernacle, which literally means dwelling. And so he gives Moses this blueprint that was to be the place where God was going to dwell with his people, right? That he could have his heart fulfilled dwelling with his people that that would be the place where they were going to meet with God, that was going to be the place where they were going to worship him, that was going to be the place where they were going to bring sacrifice to him, right? that that was going to become the center of their, of their lives. 
And so the, the tabernacle, if you, if you read the, the, the details that he gives to Moses, right, is set up sort of in, I'm, I'm maybe oversimplifying here, but he sort of sets it up, there's sort of three zones, there's three areas, right? There's the outer courts, which were, were open to, you know, more open. There was a, this inner court called the holy place, which was reserved only for the priests who were ministering before the Lord. And then within that holy place, there's an even smaller place within that called the most holy place, or the holy of holies. And I'm probably going to use those interchangeably going back and forth here for the rest of the time together. And it was in that most holy place, the holy of holies, that God dwelt. But you see, there's a problem with a holy God dwelling among us sinful people. Right? That those two pieces can't mix. And it's not God who has to give way on that. Right? That, that, a, that a, an unholy people in the presence of a holy God, if you... Uh, right? That, 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 that unholiness, that sin is just utterly destroyed. Right? It can't survive. And so, part of the directions that God gives to Moses for this tabernacle is that there be a curtain put in place to separate the most holy place, the holy of holies, where God was going to dwell from the whole rest of the tabernacle, from even, from even the holy place where the priests were operating day in and day out, there still had to be a divide. And so inside that holy of holies, that place where God dwelled, was where the Ark of the Covenant and where the atonement cover, right, the lid that sat on top of that. Right, sometimes it's referred to as the mercy seat. And on top of that mercy seat were two cherubim, and right there in the middle, was where God resided, right? And, and, you, and the, this picture of a, of a pillar of fire, right, sort of residing in this place, but always behind that curtain, right? Not because God didn't long to be with his people, but because there needed to be a separation for their own good. And so the instructions for this curtain, it's a, this beautiful... Uh, combination of red and blue and, and, and scarlet uh, yarn. It's twisted together with fine linen and there's cherubim worked into it. To divide a holy God from an unholy people. Right? That he could still dwell among us, right? but that there was There was a divide. And so as you can imagine, this is a, a, a holy place. Right? Not just the, maybe the holiest place among uh, the nation of Israel, but probably the holiest place on the face of the earth. 
where God chose to take up residence among men and women. And in Leviticus, right after God gives Moses the, the layout, right, there's a, a set of instructions that, that God lays out for the priests, for those who are ministering in this place. And, and, it's, and it's really interesting because God gives some directions to Moses right after Aaron, right? So Moses, right, who we tend to think of, his brother Aaron. Aaron's got two sons. And in Leviticus, Leviticus it, it, it recounts a story where Aaron's two sons approached this most holy place in a way that was contrary to what God had set out for the design of, of what that had to look like. And it says that fire came out from that most holy place and consumed them, and they were, they were immediately killed. Right? These are sons, sons of the high priest of Israel, right? whose heritage was to become a high priest. Right? These were not just regular guys who stumbled into a place that they shouldn't have been. And so it's after that event that God, uh, he, he says to Moses, tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses. Not to come into the holy place behind the curtain and in front of the atonement co cover of the ark or else he will die because I appear in the cloud over the atonement cover. And if anybody was likely to have rights to be able to enter that place, it was probably either Aaron or Moses. And God's direction to them was, you guys cannot be in here. And so he lays out a, a, a model, a plan, of how Aaron can enter, right? So he, it's not that he's never allowed to come. It's that he can't come whenever he wants. Think about that for a second. But if you could not go to God whenever you wanted, right? it's almost hard to fathom this, right? That if you had to, to wait, right? how different would your life be? Right? If in a moment of need, you couldn't make an approach to God. But that's exactly what he's talking about with these guys. Right? And again, it wasn't because he didn't want to be with his people. It was because they were not qualified to, to be with him. And so what God sets out is, and, and you, could really, you could really kind of geek out over, out of all of these requirements, but God goes on in his conversation with Moses in Leviticus, and we read a little bit about this in the book of Hebrews. Right? He sets out sort of the conditions. And so the first condition is that only the high priest is allowed to enter this place. One man. One man. In a whole nation, one man was allowed to enter. And that one man was only allowed to enter one time per year. 
and that was on the Day of Atonement. Right? It's the holiday now, um, Yom Kippur. Is that, right? That's the Day of Atonement. That was the one day a year that the high priest for the nation of Israel was allowed to enter in to this most holy place. But as he entered, even on that Day of Atonement, God was very clear that you could not make it in without blood. It says that the high priest never entered the most holy place without the blood of a sacrifice. Right? And so in this system, there were, the, the high priest would make a, a, a sacrifice for himself, for his own sins, and there was a sacrifice for the whole nation of Israel, and it was with that blood that he entered into the most holy place. Right? And even that was after right, they had offered up this, this special incense so that the whole holy of holies is filled with this smoke of this fragrant incense to the point where the high priest couldn't even see from the front of it to the back of it. Right? That even bringing blood, he was still not worthy to see God face to face. And while this is going on, on this one day, this one man, right, Le Leviticus talks about this, uh, that, that there was nobody else allowed in the entire tent of meeting. Nobody could be in the tabernacle. One priest, one day a year, by himself, before the Lord. Right? And so that one priest had an obligation to carry out all of the priestly duties that would normally take place by himself. In, in getting ready for this, there's a, a, a com I don't know if it was a commentary or a, another pastor said that there were, there could have been as many as 15 different sacrifices, five different baths, four changes of clothing that this high priest went through in order to fulfill all of these requirements before he entered into the Holy of Holies. And that's the pattern that continued year after year after year, generation after generation, right? So after the tabernacle, right, we have the temple, this more permanent structure. It's, it's got largely the same architecture. Some of the dimensions change a little bit, but it's largely the same in this same process, this same requirement that only the high priest, only once a year, always with blood, always with incense, approaching for generations. And that was the only way to come into the presence of God. And that's exactly the model in place when Christ comes on the scene. And for all of those years and all of those generations, that curtain was a constant reminder of our sin separating us from God. 
that that curtain continued for all of those years to be the divider that sinful men wouldn't be consumed. But you see, what makes t today, what makes this week, which make, what makes Good Friday and, and Easter Sunday right, so amazing is that that system, thousands of years, right, when Christ talks about, I haven't come to, to set aside the old covenant, I've come to fulfill that. That on the cross, Christ did exactly what God had required. Year after year and generation after generation. Right? He came into the presence of God with blood. It was the first time in all of human history that the high priest had offered not a sacrifice for his own sins, but became the sacrifice himself. Think about that. He became the sacrifice. And he entered not into that, to the man-made copy, but it says in, in Hebrews that he entered into the very presence of God in heaven, the very throne room of God, making his offering. And the moment that took place, that's what happened. That curtain which had kept sinful man from being able to enjoy and experience the presence of God was utterly obliterated. Okay? I don't know if you, any of you have ever tried to rip a, you know, a a shirt or a piece of fabric. Okay? By some accounts, the curtain here uh, in the temple at the time was, as, was four inches thick. Right? No man could rip that curtain. Right? Let's be very clear about that. No man could rip that curtain. And, and the tearing of that curtain, why is that so important? Right, that when we read that, right, it's a clear picture of God's seal of acceptance, of approval that the sacrifice that Christ had offered was worthy, that it was acceptable, that it was sufficient not just for the day or for the hour, but for all men, for all time. Right? That the dwelling of God among men no longer needed to be this sort of hidden place, that it was free and open. Right? Not that we had suddenly done something, but that through Christ, through his sacrifice, that sinful men like me and sinful men and women like you, because of Christ, were suddenly made fit. We were made acceptable. 
Let me be crystal clear about something. Right? Our acceptance before God, before the throne of the, the risen king that we're celebrating today, has absolutely nothing to do with you. And if you think it does, you're wrong. You're just flat out wrong. It is only by the blood of Christ. It is only because of his sacrifice that that constant and required divide and reminder and separation could be destroyed. And that's what makes today I don't want to say unbelievable, because I believe it. I think a lot of you do. Right? But it's what makes today possible, right? Think about this. There, what, what reason would God have to resurrect Christ from the grave if the sacrifice he had made on Friday was not acceptable? If it was not worthy, if it was not enough, why in the world would he raise Christ from the dead three days later if it was not enough, if it was not sufficient? It doesn't make any sense. Because it was. Because Christ's sacrifice fully satisfied not just the law, right, but the penalty. That's what makes today awesome. That's what makes today a day of, of, of hope, right? of joy, of celebration. I talked a little bit about this on Friday, that the debt that you've racked up has been paid. You need only believe that. You need only accept that. Because there's nothing else you're going to do that's going to make a way into the presence of God. And if it's even possible, right, there's better news to add on to that. In Hebrews 10, in verse 19, and I, and I got to tell you, I love if you're, if you're looking for a book to read. For me, the book of Hebrews is, is so great because it, it sort of maps back to the Old Testament and explaining this in the context of who Christ is and what he's done. And so the writer of Hebrews says, therefore, brothers and sisters, right? And that word, therefore, right? I'm not going to ask you to do this, but if you believe everything that I just said, that the heart of God is to dwell with men and have relationship with us, that it was so motivated by that desire that he sent Christ to live and, and dwell among us, to go to Calvary, to pay our sin, to die on the cross, right, to be buried in the grave and to rise again. If you believe all of that, then therefore, we have confidence to enter the most holy place. We have something that even those high priests for all of those years and all of those generations never had. We have confidence to enter into his presence today. Not once a year, still by blood. 
we have confidence to enter in a new and living way, right? Completely new order of things, a living way because our way into the Father is no longer tied to uh, bulls and rams being sacrificed year after year. Our way into the Father is bound to a living Lord. A way that's been opened that cannot be closed. Through the curtain. Right? That that new way, that living way, his body, right? we have a great high priest over the house of God. And I think this is even the, the, maybe even the better part of the Easter story. Is that because of all of that, we can draw near. You see, the reality is, God has already drawn near to us. The question today is, will we draw near to him? Right? Will we take advantage? Will we apply and appropriate the work of Christ in, in, in removing that curtain, in removing that divider, and come into that holy place and access God? Right? With a sincere heart, with full assurance that faith brings, assurance. Those high priests never had that. Right? But in Christ, that is exactly what we have. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilty conscience and our bodies washed, let us hold, and, and this I think is, is, uh, is equally important, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. Right, just a few chapters before this in Hebrews. In Hebrews 6, it says this. It says, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And listen to this. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the veil where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf. Right? Our hope is anchored behind that curtain right, where Christ has already gone to open a way where there had not been a way. And so as Corey and the, and the worship team come forward and we celebrate our risen Lord, right, the faithful one, Whose promises we can trust. I want to ask you a question. The desire of God's heart is to dwell with men, to, to be in relationship with men and, and women and, and children. His desire is to, to draw near. So my question for you is, when is the last time that you drew near to him? Right? Not in the outer courts, not in the inner courts, but in the holy of holies. In the place where God is God, right, unrestrained.
When's the last time that you were there? When's the last time that you that you went all the way in behind the veil into that place where our hope is anchored? And so as we worship, if it's been a while, I want to encourage you right now, today, to enter into that place. And maybe you never have. Let me invite you. Let today be that day, right? Not because, and these are, these are talented folks, right? Not because of worship, right? But to enter into that place today by the blood of the Lamb. Poured out at Calvary for exactly that purpose that we would be redeemed into relationship with Lord. And so as we worship, enter in. There's no more divide. There's only a way. And that way is a living Lord, Jesus Christ. is burning within you hearing the truth and this is what we believe there is one way to God through the blood of Jesus simple as that if your heart is burning within you this morning later in Hebrews it says this you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness gloom and storm you haven't come to that mountain not to a trumpet that blasts or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it beg that no further words be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. You haven't come to that mountain. But you, through Jesus, our great high priest, have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. This word is for you this morning. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. This is it, folks. This is what we believe. If God is burned, if you are burning, uh, inside, and you're hearing this. Do not refuse the Lord. He's calling to you. As we close, I'd like to bless you with a blessing found in Scripture. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be for all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.
Happy Easter, everybody. He is risen.